week's episode of Discologist, Eduardo and Kevin are talking about the misunderstood Donald Fagan classic, Kama Kiriat, and exploring the roots, causes, and possible solutions to the Steely Dan hatred that recently exploded onto the internet. And for listeners who aren't middle-aged soft rockin' dudes, they're also spinning music they love from Alan Wax and New Orleans' punky dance outfit, Special Interest. Actually, the Alan Wax is prime middle-aged dude music. Who is writing this stuff? Anyways, time to get on with the show. Oh, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, uh-huh. These people really loved our conversation with Nabil. They, they did. They did. I really loved that conversation. That was a... It was a long time coming. Man. One of my favorites also. One of my favorites also. Uh, for anybody who, who tuned in last week, thank you for listening. And uh, I hope you uh, got something out of that. And I hope you went out and got the book uh, because it's a fantastic read. I heard from a few people who didn't uh, know about him or his story or the book. And one of them being my mom. Oh, cool. Actually. And I was like, yeah, you should read it. It might give you some insight into like how I feel about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, not not like no, that, no, no, no. not, not, I, not I, like I that. But 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 about like the adoption yeah, thing yeah. and and stuff. So so uh, yeah, I think all around win, and it's uh, it felt good to also kick off. We're now actively doing more interviews. It's going to be like every other week is interviews, I think. Um, and we're booking them like crazy right now. <laughs> yeah, there's good there's good stuff in the can. There's some some good There's really good stuff in the can. Um and um, we'll we'll tell you later about that if you follow us on the socials. Um or or maybe, you know what? We're in the middle of a fundraiser right now. Uh and maybe we'll figure out how to do like some like secret email blast and tell you like what's coming up. Ooh. Uh if you donate like a dollar. Uh, I I've been, you know, I think you and I are both the same where we hate fundraising. Yeah. We, it's, it is, uh, I, I don't hate asking people to like pay for media or art. That's, that's not, I, I'm fine with that. Right. But, but the idea that you have to build a campaign to, co- to convince people to do something that they should be doing anyway, <laughs> I'm not really selling this right now, but we see the numbers of, of who listens to the show. And, and I tweeted out this thing that said, Hey, if every single one of you donated a dollar that listened to the show, it would cover our cost. Yep. Like $1,000 covers the cost for just about the whole year for literally everything. That's not, that's beyond hosting. That's like for, uh, for creative cloud, like time, you know, yeah. little investment besides self like edification that we get from doing this. Yeah. Um, but, but, those metrics are wild to me. Uh, so I hope, you know, maybe people consider that. Yeah. It's a dollar. A dollar. For as little as a dollar, not even a day. See, just, see, just a dollar. Just a dollar. Just a dollar. Fuck, man. Uh, be, and look, be like the great Laro. I, I know he's listening. Yeah. Um, and and he, he, he used to support us when we had a Patreon. Uh, he popped in and is doing a monthly thing that is more than a dollar. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we cheers to you. Sir, uh, that 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 feels so good. Uh, we know you listen to the show and like it, and so we'll we'll try to make it good for yeah. you. I guess we have to now. <laughs> yeah, the pressure's on. <laughs> we have we have obligations. <laughs> um, but at any rate, uh, yeah. If you, if you go to uh, discologist.com 
backslash merch. You can get stuff if you're that type of person. The merch is starting to roll out. I think my mug is going to be here tomorrow. No, Monday. Um, so more items are added every day. We have shirts, tote bags, stuff like that. Uh, there's a little banner up top if you just want to, the, the main campaign, you just click on that. It's some weird PayPal link. I'm not going to read it because it's long. Maybe I'll get AI to read it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of AI, thanks to uh, Eleven Labs, uh, the intro, the, the slightly unhinged artificial intelligence you heard reading the intro um, is, is courtesy of that. I've been looking for that for a long time um, and we started talking about AI music so I figured we're like, why don't we do it in a podcast? Um, so that's going to be like going forward and we can, um, we're working up to maybe cloning our voices. It's doable and, which, and we just feed enough data into it which there's plenty of plenty of data out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I hope that we put a sticker on it if it's not us. But maybe we won't. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the test. Actually, a good a good test for life in general is 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 what I'm doing. Could an AI me do the thing that I just did? Right. And I don't really know what yep. to do with the information. Sometimes it's like, yeah, but I had to do that. And sometimes, uh, sometimes that's maybe a sort of a way to keep yourself honest and try to do things differently. If it if you think an AI could have predicted that you were going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We'll, we'll talk about the AI uh, at the at the back end of the show. There's a good article I read. Um, two types of music, and they're not country and western. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very different. Um, but I am excited. We have a gr we have a, a fucking great show. Yeah. They're all great. They're all great shows. But this is a this is I I think you know this. This is something that I've been wanting to do for. I think since I started. Oh, show. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware. Yeah. This, this album has come up once or twice. <laughs> um, we're talking about Donald Fagan's Comic Curiad. It's his second solo album. Um, it is. Uh, I thought it was, it was, it was reviled. Looking around, um, I, I sure caught some shit from uh, one of the record store owners here when I asked if he had it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all in good fun, but uh, but looking around, it looks like it might not have been. It might might have been like actually a hit. I know it was nominated for a Grammy and whatnot, but but we'll get into that. Needlessly, I'm excited. If you are, it doesn't matter what side of the Steely Dan war you're on, Albini or Steely Dan, right? Like this is gonna be this is gonna be. We're talking about a great album. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so 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 you should tune in. And if you're like, "Fuck, I don't like Steely Dan" or something, like maybe let us let us talk you through it. Yeah, I think you're gonna find something you love in this. I think it's impossible not to. But a little biased. But um, before we get to that, though, we like to like to spin some tracks that we love. Uh, I'm gonna go first because. Uh, well, it's embarrassing that I'm doing the, the Comic Curiate episode anyway, so I might as well get all of this out. You know, we were just talking with Nabil Ayers about uh, doing the work of, like, finding artists that are un underrepresented and stuff like that, and then this is 1,000% not that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but it is it is a 1,000%... Uh, my wheelhouse, and this is the type of thing that our friend Andre, who you may hear on here from time to time, uh, we would sit and just listen to music like this endlessly and then try to play it. And um, it is a man by the name of Alan Wax, 
Uh, he put out an album in 1979 called Mountain Roads and City Streets. Uh, Numero Group just reissued this, the great Numero Group out of Chicago, uh, as they've been doing. It's part of their Cosmic Country series. Uh, and I always check in on them, and you should too. And when something like this drops, I'm like, ooh, this is this is great. This is right. You know, it's a reissue, but it's fine. But I also expect when they do something like this, it's something new, something that maybe you haven't heard of. Um, so I was excited. I was sending it to people. I was like, hey, hey man, he, this is great. This is like Jim Sullivan UFO. This is uh-huh. amazing. And then I did a little searching. And I found out that this track I'm going to play is influential to Francis Quinlan, for example. Okay. <laughs> um, apparently, this is some like great, uh, like lost in quotes, folk album that has influenced a lot of like indie writers, Francis Quinlan, Andy Schauf, amongst uh-huh. others. But 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 this is this is a really well known album, and uh, part of the reason I think is because it's a really well made album. This guy is now like a line producer, I think, in in Los Angeles or San Francisco. He's in the like the the biz. Uh, the television movie biz now. Uh, so he's still kicking around, which is also weird. Like you would think that yeah. like uh, this back then, but uh, this is possibly his, 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 his pinnacle of his work. I don't know if you'd say they, that, but, but I certainly appreciate it. Uh, so here we go with adventures of the invisible dog by Alan Locks. Easy to please 
I don't. I, mean, I don't think you should be. <laughs> I don't think you should no, be. But this is this requires zero work on my part. I just basically had to open up the internet and be like, "Hey, Kevin, would you like a thing that was made for you?" I was like, "Yes, yes, I would." Um, I had been meaning to check out the Cosmic Country uh, series. Um, oh, it's fantastic! And uh, so that's a great um, that's a great kind of opening for me to do that. Um. You know, obviously, I, I I love that. Um, you mentioned a couple people that that were uh, influenced by this. Um, there's a song on "Face the Truth" by Stephen Malkmus that is that is as yeah. close to a direct ripoff of this song um, as I think I've I've heard. Even to the point where, you know, the melody of the first uh, two lines of the verse tracks that exactly. And Freeze the Saints opens with the line, we meet again, writing our divisible bodies. And divisible is exactly where invisible is in that meter. Right. It's a clear, right. like, I, I, and I did not know this, you know, and I just, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, holy <clears throat> shit, this is Freeze, this is where Stephen got Freeze the Saints from. Um, damn. Uh, that's really good, though. That's really good. I'm, I'm going to be. Right. The, the influence of that uh, is, and I'm still like researching it, is blowing my mind because Pavement was mentioned, Malcolm's was definitely yeah. mentioned in, in the materials that I found, but that this album has been floating around uh, since 1979. Wow. And like, I sent it to Andre. Yeah. And he was like, I've never heard of this. And like, how was that even fucking possible? How? Like, how is it possible that him and I didn't make this? <laughs> right. <laughs> but but how is it possible that we didn't hear this? Um, and it just goes to show you, you can't hear everything. There, yeah. there. I said this when we were talking to Nabil. There are holes in everybody's catalog, uh, which is why it's so it's so fantastic when you you do to whatever point you discover it. Yeah. Like I've been I've been playing this to death, and it's it's mutated my algorithm in Apple Music. To the point that now it's bringing up all this old country stuff that, like, I was familiar with some of the names, but I didn't really listen to it. And so I have just a queue of great late 70s, some or even early 80s folk country, like, anti heroes. Yeah. 
um, and people who didn't really do that good, but people are like, yeah, this this is the guy. And I've just been plowing through it, and it's amazing for me, not so much for my lady. So this happens in the basement. <laughs> so you got you got uh, yeah. you spared her one by playing it here. Um, yeah. Yes. Oh, she's hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and you know her, so you know the reaction. <laughs> Man, I love I love that though. Um, yeah. And I will be um, I'll be on the Numero website right after we're done uh, recording here, probably. Nice, nice. Um, solid track, man. Um, I have uh, a little bit, um, similarly, not something that's necessarily like under the radar because I think this this album got a little bit of hype um, in the, you know, in the sort of usual places you might expect, Pitchfork, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I, I missed all that um, and but came across this song um, called Midnight Legend and the band is Special Interest. They're uh, kind of a arty punk outfit out of uh, New Orleans and they mix a lot of... Oh. Uh, it's got like a little DFA kind of quality running through it. And the reason I, I picked this for today is because I was actually trying to think, knowing we were going to talk about Albini and Fagan, I was trying to think of, you know, is there a band that could be the, the perfect place where Albini's aesthetics and preferences and choices would meet the Steely Dan attitude and vibe? And, uh, and I, I would, I would humbly submit that, uh, Midnight Legend by Special Interest is exactly where that happened. So here it is. Disposable income The 
She spilled it on a Telfy and a smidge of cheese. Hey, 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 fuck on me. Yeah, all these girls wanna be and see. She's with her, her with me. Ha, ha, ha. No, Sherry, what's your scheme? Now your angle, more to tango. Left this way, go, go, bang, what's the tea? You, you said DFA, not that definitely. I, I've I've often wondered why people don't just rip off James Murphy, yeah. since he's ripping off everybody else. Yeah, and uh, by his own admission, and uh, by his own yeah. admission, yeah. I'm not saying it's yeah. a, a, it's a pejorative use of that word, uh, but yeah, that's I I bet we're gonna see a law come out of the house. <laughs> Trying to ban this shit because <laughs> yeah. they're playing the drag brunch. Uh, no. Yeah, no, this is a this is look look the 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 thing I love about the vibe for the song and the video of all this is this is for people this is for degenerates out doing weird things at three or four in the morning. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it's 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 kind of a loving embrace of the and if you've been out at three or four in the morning uh, in any major American metropolitan region these days, and if you're in your forties. You're looking around and you're like, these kids in their 20s are different from me, right? Yeah. There's like, like as we talked about with Nabil, like, like the, you know, they're they're a much more diverse generation. The number of non-binary folks within that group is much higher. It's just a different vibe, you know. But I love that. I really do feel like this song is sort of like, you know, that idea of like the concrete runway. Like this is this is like a very kind of fun, cool, uh, you know, DIY after hours feel. Yeah, super positive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you know, one thing too. I love knowing that they're from New Orleans. Like you hear that. Like most stuff out of New Orleans has a good mix of of all different genres. Part of that, I think, though, is due to their their youth. Yeah. You know, mixing um, call and response, which you'd normally hear in like hip hop, uh, and and all through the the punk and the DFA yeah. stuff to to come out with something that is. Uh, not necessarily original, but it's it's satisfying. Yeah, I find it I find it really compelling. And uh, uh, this was this was just the perfect excuse to sort of try to you know uh, shoehorn this song in because this this song has gotten stuck in my head for days at a time. Oh, I can yeah. see that, and it's really it's really satisfying. Um, and it's a short listen. Yeah. You can listen to it you know five times in the space of twenty minutes and feel good about it. How how much of an influence do you think? Uh, Management head on them, MGMT. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's another good comp. I think that's another good comp. I think, I think, I think this is the this is the there's there's a whole generation of of folks coming up who are coming up in, frankly, you know, post rave um, party culture. Yeah, and and you know, a lot of that is well chronicled in the Meet Me in the Bathroom book. But you know, it was it used to be that those were different things. Ooh, this is sort of a this is sort of a tie in to Albini too. Cause he complains about this, but, um, it used to be that the, it used to be that the kids who danced didn't go to the rock shows. Right. 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 For sure. And that started to change thanks to a very fun summer in, uh, Manchester in the late eighties. Um, and eventually yep. that came to the States and at first it was just raves. And then sometime in the mid aughts 
kids started going to rock shows and dancing and rock bands started to incorporate some level of syncopation and kind of groove. And out of that came a lot of music that we love, like LCD sound system. And, yeah. and kids get to come up in this world now where you sort of get to like blend everything in together and create this, this thing that is both new, but also very much in keeping with like late disco, new wave, early goth, you know? Yeah. Revenge of disco. Disco is great. Yeah. I don't, I don't know yes. anybody. I don't know why you would, <laughs> you know, people hated it because it was like gay and black. I, mm -hmm. You know, that that's, if you don't like it, yep. That's probably why. Fix your heart. Fix your heart. <laughs> but um, I, I will say about this, and, and what you're talking about, how dance eked its way into music like that. I do think that that, that era has gone on too long. And, and, and this is a lot of why I don't like a lot of indie rock. Um, and, I, and I wonder if it is because it is such a juggernaut. It is so, that is so accessible. Um, or if it's just literally people have not created something that can move into its place like in my lifetime we've had in your lifetime we've had like several very very well-defined eras of popular music mm -hmm. and we seem stuck in this one because it, it used to be every like eight or nine years and those got defined as just the decade yeah i think this is where much as i much as i kind of hate to give credence um to to his point but the chuck klosterman thing about the 90s being the last decade because uh, because essentially after yeah. that, um, you know, you had the entire like streaming, you know, Napster becomes a thing and then streaming. So you have the entire universe of, of available music all the time. You have the Internet making TV content on demand. So whatever is new that's being made is less important than the entire history of that medium that is suddenly available to you. And suddenly the 2000s are a lot like the 2010s or a lot like the 2020s. And, yeah. and, and I think you're right. I think, I think there's a little bit of a like, huh, there's a, there's a kind of a need for a new paradigm or for, or, or, or for something to mark time, because it does feel like we've been in this gear since, you know, since the rapture really or something like time. that. Right. Yeah. At, at least, in, at least in pop and rock. Yeah. yeah. Like in, in other fields, they're just, they're just zooming right ahead. Yeah. They, they don't give a fuck, especially in like hip hop. Yes. Like that, the, there's turnover in in what is not just like new and radical in that field, but also then what's accepted. What 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 is what is the 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 real deal? And people are all about in uh, honestly, almost like monthly. It's insane. Yeah, um, you know, and 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 there's uh, uh, we sort of talk about these things that they're they're kind of running themes but you know there's a changing media environment i think i think the 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 sort of you know just to call out the obvious kind of pitchfork responsibility here i mean mm -hmm. um there are now i mean we get pitched on how to get your music in front of the right tiktok influencer now to get a review out of them <laughs> right so the music industry is changing and whoever you know was you know whoever sort of enforced or codified this aesthetic and kept it there it may not have as much sway in the coming years we're talking about ryan <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're coming for you dude. sorry but sorry but that that no, you earned it you earned it um all right those two great tracks. Yeah. I think. I think. Yeah, good vibe going into like it's gonna be tough. You gonna stretch? You gonna like, get loose? <laughs> get uh, we're yeah. gonna take a little break yeah. and uh, come back, and then we're gonna talk about uh, this. This is one of my favorite albums of all time. Mm -hmm. 
So make of that what you will. See you on the other side here. Opening song off of Donald Fagan's Kamakiri an album that is generally not as well regarded as uh, The Nightfly, um, which is sort of a safe Fagan solo thing to like. Um, his other solo records include Sunken Condos, which I'm frankly kind of, uh, you know, so-so on, um, and Morph the Cat, which I don't know very well. Um, so I have like one little, you know, yet to discover pocket of Donald Fagan goodness out there. But um, but Kamakiria, this is a this is a you know I think the first time you mentioned this album to me, I was kind of in disbelief that anyone else knew it, because I had bought the CD used somewhere when I was like you know going into my Steely Dan phase in the kind of late '90s, early 2000s, and I was just you know I saw this and I thought oh this must be great. Um, I'll I'll be honest with you um, on you know when I listened to it for the first time at at the age of I don't know 25 or something like that. Um, I didn't really get it and it didn't really, um, stay with me. It took me a few years. I had to revisit it later, um, to really understand kind of, uh, and appreciate the aesthetic and the way that this album is, is put together. Sonically, it's, it's a little, I find it, um, like it's, I think for Steely Dan folks, like it's much closer to something like Gaucho than it is to any other part of the Steely Dan catalog. Right, it has that sort of colder, more tinny metallic sound. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely a, uh, uh, a chilled album. <laughs> yeah, the drums sound thin it, it's and kind of nicely. reedy. The um, Walter Becker's bass is very warm. We should we should also point out that this, uh, so this album comes out in '93. It has yeah. some amount of recognition. Like um, if you look at reviews from the time, it was reviewed in you know, Entertainment Weekly and Rolling mm-hmm. Stone, a few other places. NPR did uh, a little feature on it. It, it you know, a- after the recording, um, Walter and Donald got back together and toured for the first time as Steely Dan. Right. Um, 
or for the first time since the eighties or something like that, I think. Um, so this album yeah, more or less yeah. ushered in a renewal of that, of that relationship. I'm not sure what it was like in the intervening years. Well, they, they, I mean, they were, they were working with each other, but they, they just stopped making Steely Dan records after Gaucho. Yeah. Um, and so there was never some like, uh, breakup where they like, there was never any animosity. It was just, they didn't want to do Steely Dan anymore. Um, and this, for my money, this is all intents and purposes. This is a Steely Dan record. Yeah. Um, it, it is driven by, I think this is what's different. It's driven by Donald Fagan. Whereas when, yeah, when, when you, when you, when you start to get into the details of Steely Dan, which we're going to do right now, um, you, you, you see how much balance there is there and, and how much, uh, and you know, they get yelled at about like being control freaks Uh, for this type of music. I think there is a level of control you have to exert. Um, not just on the people you have playing the instruments, just like self-control, like to get a certain sound. Before we start really talking about it, though, um, our, our AI friend, mm-hmm. uh, I, I asked, <laughs> I, <laughs> I asked her, um, and and so what you're about to hear is a AI reviewing Kamakiriad Chat GPT. As read by another AI, who who I've set I set the the emotion level to uh, essentially unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so here is ChatGPT's review of Kamakiriad, as read by its friend, <laughs> the other AI. Donald Fagan's Kamakiriad is a classic album released in 1993. It is the second solo album from the co-founder of the popular jazz rock group Steely Dan. The album is a concept album that tells the story of a futuristic road trip through a dystopian America. The production quality of Kamakiriad is excellent with crisp sound and intricate arrangements. Fagan's distinctive voice is showcased to great effect and the instrumentation is top-notch, featuring top-notch musicians like Wayne Shorter, Marcus Miller, and Hiram Bullock. (laughs) The album's jazzy, sophisticated sound is a perfect fit for Fagan's wry, insightful lyrics. And the result is a highly enjoyable listening experience. Standout tracks include the opening track, Trans Island Skyway, the funky Countermoon, and the haunting Snowbound. The album's overall sound is heavily influenced by jazz, R&B, and funk, but also incorporates elements of rock, pop, and world music. Overall, Kamakiriad is a highly recommended album for fans of Steely Dan, Donald Fagan, and sophisticated genre-blurring music. It is a timeless classic that has aged well and continues to be appreciated by music fans today. Well, at least that last part was right. I think there was a, there was a little factual. Wayne Shorter did not play on this album. Yeah, the, um, um, I have One. to say that that the the baritone sax on this album. Um, every time I get to say his name on our show, it's a gift is Ronnie Cooper, who was one of, uh, he was on this label Xanadu, which I've talked about before. It's sort of this like mm-hmm. forgotten mm-hmm. jazz label from the late seventies, early eighties. Ronnie Cooper has, I believe two lead sessions on Xanadu. On Xanadu. One is, one is the great Cooper Libre, uh, which I highly recommend. The other is a masterpiece. It's the 11th day of Aquarius. Um, and so for you crate diggers out there, if you come across either of those Ronnie Cooper records, get it. Um, he plays on here. I believe he also played on Gaucho, if I'm not wrong. So I, I think it's, or, or, yeah, or, or he played yeah, on Nightfly right. or something like that. 
I think you're right. I'm going to have a link to the show notes uh, in the show notes to like all the contributors, because I think that's an important part to not just this story, but the Steely Dan story uh, for, for comic Kiriad, aside from Walter Becker on this 31 musicians in this band. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot like, of channels. Like 30, 12 engineers, including the guy, Roger Nichols, the guy who did uh, Asia. Wow. Um, all to get a very specific sound. And and that's where I want to start our discussion of, of this and Steely Dan. There's a lot of talk. Uh, well, Steve Albini, for one. People shit on Steely Dan. People think that it is uh, it's something you like grow into with age, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. <clears throat> and I, th- I think th- those, all, those all are funny ways to think about music in a band. Uh, but I think what it is, is that they, they started off from a very sophisticated spot and were not trying to be, to fit any idiom. If they were, it was bebop jazz. Mm-hmm. But they definitely didn't want to do that. Yeah. But, you know, you you have, they do a lot of jazz covers that show up through their catalog. And, in doing this, kind of created their own genre. Yeah, I, I think that's. I mean, I, I you know you can you can sort of try to like pathologize it and kind of describe mm-hmm. like twenty three and me it right and say well there's elements of all these things in it but I think what it you know I think there's something really unique and difficult to replicate about the Fagan Becker combo. Um, yeah. and it's distinctive and there are different shades of it that bands can pick up on. Right. We talked about the drug dealer record. They're sort of like, you know, yeah. that has aspects of like, can't buy a thrill going for it or something like that. But there isn't a band out there that, that you could, uh, that, that you would say, uh, would produce another, uh, you know, Katie lied or Asia or something like that, or, or that right. would know how to, and that includes an AI, like an AI bot would not get you there. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's something very unique, uh, very deliberate, uh, and very. It's in general, it's okay for you not to like a certain kind of music. Yeah, yeah. Steely Dan is not is not for everyone. It's not. It's not like if you don't like jazz, you're never going to like Steely Dan. Yeah. I don't care if you heard it on like classic rock radio growing up or not. Like it's not classic rock. Um, it is, you know, it's akin to, there was a thing in the Albini thread where he seemed to not understand what session musicians are are doing. So it's akin to like shitting on Motown or anything that the wrecking crew worked on because they weren't the people necessarily writing that stuff. See, I took, I took that comment to be about, um, the fact that Steely Dan were notorious for many many takes um yeah and, they are yeah and so and i think and i think and, and and his tweet was something like you know just basically you know make someone play something enough times until you get tired and pretend that it's genius or something like that i think i think like the wrecking crew were one of those you know part of what they did i think they exemplified what albini talks about in the beginning of the thread is a different version of being well honed which is that you do the work beforehand you come into the studio and you execute not you come into the studio and you try 30 times right 
Right. So, so yeah, yeah, I can see that side of it. A little different methodology, yeah. but like people work both ways. Yes. Um, yes. Know. Especially like the 70s excess, which Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people, bands who go in and spend like four years in the studio aren't doing that. In, in this broader discussion of like who's a real musician and who's not, which shouldn't be a discussion, but that's what people are concerned with. Uh, I, I, both are, both are valid. Like, I, I don't think where you decide to do your work, like determines how good your work is or if it's valid. It's just where, where it's comfortable. You know, you, if you're a writer, you have like routines, you write in certain places. If you, I, I like to like write on my guitar, like yeah, in the basement. You know, uh, it, it, it's just sort of criticizing a band or an artist that you aren't involved with. And I'm not just talking about Steely Dan here. For stuff like that is the most just asinine discourse. <laughs> well, there's plenty of there's plenty of ad hominem in, uh, in Albini's. Right, 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 right. Um, sure. I think the phrase, you know, music for wedding bands to stretch out to is an amazing burn, <laughs> even if I disagree uh, yeah, with I, it. I, but it's not a burn, it's not a burn yeah. though. Because what that's saying is like the looking down on wedding bands. I know a lot of people that have played in wedding bands. They're better musicians than most of the musicians who are trying to make it that, that I know. Yeah. I, I can say that factually. So like what they decided, they said nobody is, is the, the market is too difficult for me for what I want to do to compete in that market. So I'm going to go over here and get paid $1,500 a gig. Mm-hmm. And all I got to do is play something that somebody else wanted me to play. And that money then funds like all my other artistic endeavors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what I, uh, so I, I agree with you. Um, um, you know, on the whole, I, I think, I think on the whole, I I enjoyed the Albini thread and the discourse and drama around it mm -hmm. just because like there's something um, you know I like I like a lot of um, things that he has worked on and there there's like without a doubt you know records that that frankly both you and I love that you know like the um, Attack on Memory by Cloud Nothings would not sound the way it does if Albini had never existed um, not an album I like. Um, <laughs> we talked about this. I think I thought it was. We reviewed this album. We reviewed no, no, Cloud no, Nothings. No. no, not a band I like. But neither here nor there. How did how did we <laughs> review them? You were into them. I'm like I'm gonna go back and listen to this episode. I'm 99 percent sure. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah I, I might have put a little down. Like I'm keeping it real in 23. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you used to claim uh, to like. No offense, yeah. but but look, that, but but that's that's as far as that goes. It's not a band that I like. Yeah. I don't engage with cloud nothing. I don't, I don't cloud nothings. I don't get on the internet and say shit about cloud nothings. Like right. it functionally, I don't care. It shouldn't bother me. Shouldn't have bothered Steve LB. shouldn't bother anybody what they listen to, but there is, again, it, it, it's seeing how we consume art as sort of like sports and putting it on the same level. And I, I don't think you can do that. I think there, there's a point when you're younger uh, or a very immature way to interact with it that, you know, maybe after too many bong hits, it's fun. Um, but he, he, do people do it with this band? They do it with the Grateful Dead. They do it the 
goddamn the Eagles? <laughs> like, come on, man. <laughs> like, well, talk to for people who don't like those bands. They, you know, they they don't like the work. They don't, you know, it's not sort of aesthetically within their set of preferences and it's not something that they speak to. Mm -hmm. And then, and then they also find that the kind of entire culture uh, and the broader kind of macro trends that produce those bands are also uh, loathsome to them. Right. So people who hate the dead don't just hate the music. They sort of hate the fact that this was a band filling football stadiums in the early nineties. Right. Um, they, you know, if, if you don't like the Eagles, you don't just dislike their work. You dislike the entire seventies cocaine studio vibe. Um, right. Right. Um, and, and so I, you know, that was the part of Albini's thread that I really kind of enjoyed was that was recognizing like, Oh, this is the student. He's, you know, he's an old punk in his sixties. He clearly likes what he likes. Um, part of who he was pointing his fingers at, I felt like, uh, were his peers who he thinks has softened in their old age. Right. And, um, and that's, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's sort of like, um, you know, there's, there, there are probably punks, um, you know, uh, within our age range, like, like 40, 40s, 50s, who can't believe how many kids think fish is okay now when like a punk, 30 years ago would have not been okay with the idea or even like sharing space with someone who's going to go see fish. Right. And now suddenly they've been laundered through some process and we don't have genre boundaries anymore. We don't have police people policing who can be, who is punk, who is goth, who is industrial, who is a mod or whatever. And so it becomes this whole big thing. So, so, so I, I enjoyed hearing Albini kind of rail against the like, and fuck you people who were supposed to be here manning this line with me, but instead it turns out you're into Steely Dan too. And God damn it. That makes me angry. Well, two things. Yeah. Like if they work, I feel like that's a DM to his friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also like the, that doesn't achieve, like I, there is no line. There is no uh, like holding up some integrity unless Granted, he is in the industry, but he's not like he's not like making those records. He's behind the scenes doing it, um, and, and I think ultimately it's just a very toxic way to look at art. You know, we when so many people are having a problem making it now, making music, and if you're uh, oh Jimmy Montague, hmm. Casual Use, I think is the name of the album. Okay. Um, very Steely Dan ish, okay. right? Yeah. And I and I think you would say that. And I think and you and he, if you have all these people that are just shitting on everything that sounds like Steely Dan because of these preconceived notions, because it's not like in our living rooms anymore. It's it's on the internet. Like it's like it's that got that got seventy three million views. Yeah. Right, so so maybe there's consensus. I will I will I'll come to that, but but my point is that it, it will discourage people from doing what they want and what they should, um, because people do not exist in vacuums, and 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 a lot of, it varies like how much you need approval of other people. Um, you and yeah, you th- I, I you know I there are. I don't know how many like good cranks are still alive and like generating good content. I know Albini is one of them. Yeah. 
Um, Nick Cave is one of them. Um, sure. You know, and these are and 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 what I mean by this is that is that suddenly as a society we're like really eager to hear like old crotchety men be crotchety, and we want them to do that at every turn. And, and that ends up being like a great starting point for kind of, you know, uh, discourse. And I mean, everyone has gotten mileage out of the Albini thread, every music outlet. Um, and, and I guess, I guess where I see it as maybe, you know, I, 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 I disagree with Albini. Um, I don't know that I think it has the potential to cause harm because I think people sort of look at him the way they would. You know, uh, you know, David Crosby, we just lost a great, a great crank. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think people sort of view it more in that context. Um, and, and I guess I feel like maybe if he's doing, doing it in public in a way that generates all this discourse, it's better than him being, uh, you know, a very powerful studio exec who never tells anyone that he hates something and is just, you know, pointedly going to, de- you know, yeah. deny people opportunities because he doesn't like that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's and Steely Dan. You know, it's this is this is one of those things where, like, for many years, it was uncool to like Steely Dan, um, and then suddenly it became very cool to like Steely Dan. And now we've almost swung all the way back, where it's like so obvious to like Steely Dan that maybe it's uncool again. I don't, I don't quite know. Yeah, and, and, and that's a whole side of it of how people consume music that is the, a lot of reason why we do this show is sort of like anti that. Yes. Like who, get, who gives a fuck if it's cool? Right. Like it, it, you can't, I mean, look, people are going to, but you can't decide what you consume or what you support based on if you think it's cool, because what that does is that creates a society that you're mad about in the first place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because those power like centers shift and you might find yourself like, like in power, like DIY is the best thing or, or pop is the best thing. But then it's, it's going to shift, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only thing you have is that you're like, well, I really liked it. Yeah. And you didn't bother to, to give any evidence of why other people should like it, which is what we're going to do now. Yes. So now, now the, the air has been cleared about <laughs> what's stealing in a little bit, why we think you should like them, is that they are like excellent musicians. Put your pre- preconceived notions aside and understand that these guys are, are studied, trained uh, blues, jazz players. Uh, they, they set out to honor these traditions of music they love. Uh, lyrically, you know, the Steely Dan was a, a dildo in Naked Lunch and you know, in William Burroughs book, but they are, for my money, the furthest thing from the beats uh, that anybody could be. I know they get associated with that, but they're more this like sort of Raymond Chandler stuff. This, this, so they're interpreting like another institution yeah. <laughs> of, of American literature. And they're saying like, okay, this is what this music would be like. And that was an institution, detective stories and stuff, because people love that shit. And, and, my, if I'm putting a Steely Dan record or this record in front of anybody for the first time and they haven't heard them or they aren't really into them, I say, you're at the very least going to get told a very good story. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's where this album starts. Yeah. I think as, as you heard it, it, it's a, 
Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, you know, Fagan's writing, this is, and this is something that I've actually, I, I, I struggle to kind of put into words how I feel about his writing. And sometimes uh, at my first contact with some of his work, I'll walk away totally cold and unscathed and like, it really just won't land. Um, but, but I, but I know he, I, I, I like a lot of his stuff. And what I tend to like about it is that these are songs that in relatively economical verses will sort of tell a huge, big, you know, huge, big epic story. Um, and you're only getting little fragments of it, but they are, they're, they are narratives. They're like character driven, right? Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. everything there, there's, I mean, for my money, like him and Becker are two of the best writers in music period. Um, as far as like telling stories, like we just lost like Burt Bacharach. Right. Uh, he was he was another one that just understood like people want a story. That's that's an old tradition. Yeah. It makes sense that it's not necessarily like popular in twenty twenty three, but I think it's mutated. When you when you're talking about that, you're talking about stuff like Adele, maybe. Yeah, you know, who's telling these like big, larger than life stories, but they're they're so relatable. Um, so there's a lot of that on this album. Like I said, it starts with a car. That in the future, in maybe a post-apocalypse, maybe not, that you can grow food in the back, you have coffee, and it's it's just this journey this person goes on. For me, it peaks four tracks into the album, um, and this was this was an old Steely Dan song uh, that they brought back. Uh, but I want to play a little bit of it, and then there's a there's a line in here. It says, we sail our ice cats in the frozen river. Some loser fires off a flare. Amen. For seven seconds, it's like Christmas Day. And then it's dark again. Like, come on, man. No. That, that's, some, that's some great fucking writing. But here, here it is in context. Here's a little smile. What seduces us with Come out and play. Eat up these white nights. We're gonna turn 
air tight production. Yeah. And I get it. I get it if you're like, maybe not, maybe not for me. Yes. Maybe I needed to breathe a little more. That's not what they do. That's not a mistake. That's that's an intentional choice by these people that made this record. Um, and for for me, it works because it further separates it from reality. Stuff doesn't stuff doesn't sound like that in the real world yeah. <laughs> at all. And you pair that with the video is uh, done by Michelle Gondry. Like oh, very wow. early on in his career, yeah, it's all stop motion. It's the links in the show notes, but it's, uh, and it's just this magical slice of what Steely Dan did with instead of cynicism piled on top of that, or like, hey, he's the creepy guy, you know, <laughs> like the guy, and everybody's gone to the movies or something. Like <laughs> right. this is a very, this is a very sweet, like oh. We're we're in this town. It's it snowed. We're stuck. Let's just let's just enjoy our shit. Yeah. This is yeah. This is by far my favorite song on the record. I think um, it. You know, I, I I have where where I struggle with some parts of this record. I was thinking about about this just um, a little bit earlier today. Is that um, some of the songs feel um a little a little light and what i mean by that is that they sort of you know there's sort of a there's a groove there's a sort of you know they all have that sort of scratchy reedy guitar um they're all sort of built around guitar licks like that um and then you know the band will sort of kick in and i i sometimes felt like it it didn't you know the the the, the songs on here aren't quite as like dynamic as like in asia or something like that um do they have to be but what's that do they have to? No, 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 they don't. They don't. And that's the thing. So, so I think, you know, what I, you know, at, at, at first listen with this album for me, I just felt like, oh, there are interesting pieces here, but I don't know how often they all come together into a fully realized song. And the first track that really did hit me as a fully realized song was, was Snowbound. I think as far as the other yeah. one goes, I get why people like the phrase skeletal is overused to describe music, right? But I think in this point, in this case, it, it, it really is about the fact that like there are really, every song has really great structural elements along the way. Um, it's, you know, they, they don't always choose to like kind of pull them all together the way they do on Snowbound. I'm not sure what, I don't know if this is, if it's because the song um, Becker has a co-writing credit and I don't think he does on the other songs of the album. Yeah, I, I'm not clear on that. I think it, it is a good point about this album. You know, uh, the Nightfly, which you mentioned, it, it is the safe Donald Fagan album. It sounds the most like Steely Dan, yeah. but like Donald Fagan is not Steely Dan. Right? Donald Fagan is Donald Fagan, and and so this this is more you're getting more his sensibilities. Now, does that mean that Walter Becker was the one who maybe warmed it all up, fleshed it out? Could be, could be. I think uh, you could probably find that answer out there, but. For me, as a fan of Steely Dan, I'm, especially as time has gone on, interested in what these guys are doing. Uh, there's a album called 11 Tracks of Whack. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I do know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Walter Becker that I, I believe Fagan played on. Very similar in where it doesn't at first feel, quite feel all there. Um, it feels like something is is missing a little, but it's still like expertly played. 
the songs are fun, but it just it's not not quite there. And I think, uh, admittedly, you can come to this album and get that experience. And that's why, you know, one of the reviews was, or this was in all music, it said the songs on Kamakuri are mainly static one chord vamps with little of the interesting offbeat hits or chord changes that characterize most of Steely Dan's corpus. I should have read that. (laughs) I could have saved myself some time. Yeah, but like, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that because... There's a purpose for static one core fan. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, the discourse around Steely Dan is so so weird. In, instead of just saying this is a, a a jazz band basically making pop jazz, like that Sonny Stitt never played with Steely Dan blows <laughs> my fucking yeah. mind, or never covered it. Yeah, Steely Dan. It's just, it, it, yeah. It, here's another one from Entertainment Weekly, like. They rarely make albums like this anymore, which is exactly what seems amiss. A good chunk of what is called pop these days from sloppy crunch to jumping rap sounds as if it were swiftly pieced together in someone's basement. <laughs> you know, comparing it to like of the time, the albums that were out, <laughs> this is this is good, in your utero. Yeah, yeah I was going to say 93. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Doggy Style, Last Splash, Pearl Jam Versus, uh, Tools Undertow. Hey. Wow. Best record of all time, Pablo Honey. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. And 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 so in that context comes somebody who is refusing to change. Yeah. And drop and drops an album like this. And it it was hard in ninety three to like figure out what it was. Well, um I think it I think both the production choices and the song structures play differently today than they did. I mean, well, obviously they do because it's it's a bunch of years later. But um, but I think I think I think what has happened in music and culture since then uh, benefit uh, this album and and incline the listener to be more open to it than you might have been in '93. Um, so so first of all, there's that the piece that we talked about earlier, which is just the kind of the advent of like groove or, or dance oriented things, mm-hmm. um, within a kind of a live rock band setting. Um, the other is that I think that, you know, because this is an album about a car trip, um, I just have this sense that like, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's something that you should kind of have on while you're doing something. There should be scenery rushing by, or something right and 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 more so than like than like delivering you like a well-crafted song what it's trying to do is to give you kind of the mood of 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 the thing that would put you in the mindset of someone doing you know on on the road so so i put this record on now and it's usually to like go cook or something like that it's not to sit down and listen to it it's because like i really enjoy the vibe and the groove and it makes me nod my head in a way that I really like. And I keep doing it without having to think much about it. So, so you know, the thing, the simplicity, which initially for me was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a drag on it, um, ultimately is probably part of what, you know, allows it to come into my life in all these different ways now, because it's just so easy to put on. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people tend to see that as like a, a ding, like, oh, it's easy to listen, but like, it, there's also the side of easy listening is it's easy because it's good. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's just undeniably good. You know, I, I, I was sort of criticizing people who say coming to Steely Dan is a thing that happens when you get older. But I, I think there's a maturity 
to their lyrics. So maybe maybe there is something to that. Um, and, and that maturity, like it, for to appreciate any of their work, and certainly this album, you, you have to have like lived a little <laughs> to understand a few things. Um, there's the hooks on like something like Deacon Blue mm-hmm. or Kid Charlemagne, like are undeniable. Um, and Kid Charlemagne is actually not a great example because that's just Breaking Bad before yeah, it was right, Breaking right. Bad. Um, but, but in the B-sides and a lot of the stuff that was popular, there's just a real mature heart where they are writing for adults and being marketed to kids who wanted to like smoke a doobie, uh, which you can definitely do to Steely Dan. It's great (laughs) for that. Uh, but, but this his second solo album it's to be expected he's an older guy now and, and, and there's a lot of depth to it there's a you know this journey is of seemingly this youthful person mm-hmm. you know maybe this is his first Kamakiri his first car yeah. towards the end though um, there's a track called On the Dunes where it gives up that maybe it's not or maybe maybe there's a time jump somewhere in there I want to play a little bit of this because uh, this this song is just gorgeous. Um, And speaking of the vamps, you know, it it does, it ends, it just goes, but it, it forces reflection on not just what you heard. And then, and then you start thinking about, Oh man, how does it, how does this relate to me? Uh, This is a little bit on the dunes. From the city's twitch and smoke A misty beach That's where my life became a joke On the dunes On the dunes Became a joke on the dunes Where rents are high and seabirds cry on the dunes. That's ripping off every good Steely Dan vibe. Yeah. yeah. But he's the guy, he's the guy, so, like, it's fine. And what he does is is explores themes that they've explored. Like, that's like a slower version of the title track for Asia. Yeah, yeah. Um, and ex- just explores very different themes. Um, this one is seems like a middle-aged dude. He's getting some bad news. Um, getting some bad news yeah. on the dunes. No more love yeah. for Where him. His life became a joke. Um, and and yeah. there is a sense of like watching these other people playing and having nice lives and feeling like, oh, that's not for me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, pretty boats sweeping along the shore and the faltering light, pretty women with their lovers by their side. It's like an awful dream I have most every night. <laughs> Right, right, right. And, and the last last line of it is like, on the dunes, uh, it, I'm pretty tough, but the wind is rough on the dunes. Yeah. yeah. Like, is that going to win a Pulitzer? No. Is that really good songwriting for this? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, the, the, the rest of the album plays a lot like stops along the way, right? And this feels a little bit, like uh 
um, this is, yeah, this is clearly where things, where things go bad, but this is maybe like, oh, the dunes should be, you know, you know, maybe he thought he was going to the dunes and that's where everything was going to end happily ever after. And instead he gets there and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a bad ending. Um, which is why the album gets a different closer. Uh, it does. To, to, before we yeah. get to that real quick, I, I want to point out a, a big thing in like the late sixties and like throughout the seventies for any movie that dealt with post apocalypse was getting to the beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, fact, in, in fact, in fact, there's Australia on the beach, like the, the movie that's fucking fantastic. But yeah, everything is like the beach because you get to the ocean, you're away from civilization. Um, and maybe, maybe new beginnings, maybe not. Um, but it definitely fits in with the, the post-apocalypse scene here. Yeah. Um, is it, is this the last stand of humanity and he has arrived alone? Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I had, a I had always kind of assumed that, um, it's because I, you know, I hadn't thought about that sort of like the time elapsed kind of jump forward kind of thing. I had always thought of this as just the journey of, of someone, you know, probably not Mm -hmm. super young, but also not super old. Right. Um, but it's really, you know, I hadn't considered the possibility that like the album could take place over several years and that he starts out young and, um, I think that's me grafting something onto it. Like, you know, you're, you're capable of regret when you're younger, just as no, well as <laughs> when you're older. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's just a, again, it's that maturity thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's such a, it's just a reflective song about knowing you fucked up. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's always hit me like right in the feels is like, Oh man, don't do that to me, Donald Fagan. Yeah, <laughs> give, give, give me Peg something. Well, so he 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 responds to um, to the events of On the Dunes by um, by basically going out and getting shit faced. I think going to see some live music at the tea house on the tracks. Yeah, is the like yeah. Well, shit. Everything everything is terrible now. So I might as well go out to a very to a song that is like. Uh, uh, you know, a quintessential Steely Dan song is about a band that you don't know playing late into the night, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And I, I saw one review of this back in the day that referred to the whole story as like a jazz redemption story. Huh. So it's so it's, it's it's a journey of like an old jazz guy, but then at the end of the road, maybe like it could be purgatory, could be heaven, but like what you know, what is there? This jazz club that he he gets to he gets to hang out and uh, play in the band every night. So this is this is one of those things where um, we were talking about whether you know an AI could 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 do what you're doing uh, or not. I feel like if you asked an AI to describe a post-apocalyptic Donald Fagan world, they would say there is going to be uh, there's going to be a jump in jazz joint, and uh, then the word rhythmatize will be used to describe it. Like I think I think an, I think an AI could have could have done that. Frankly, um, as much as I love this song, and this is probably 
probably my second favorite song on the album. I think it just has this like joyous, uplifting quality of just like, hey, it's a big party and everyone's here and, uh, you know, we're going to get to work. Yeah. Yeah. So something you don't think about when you think about Sealy Dan is emotional manipulation. <laughs> yeah. But that, that that's key to Comic Curiad. And, and it's a, it's a masterclass in it. It, you know, it goes from that, the Transatlantic Skyway is this joyful, like, I just got my car. I'm just going to, oh, is that my dad? Like, I'm going to pick him up that comes later. Um, springtime. It, it, it's just, and then there's an alien invasion. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> you don't know how to feel about it, but then you start you start hearing it, and it's just like, oh, wow, this is not necessarily an alien invasion. Maybe this guy just doesn't relate to women at all. <laughs> and you can make the joke that because he listens to Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it it does if you let it if you don't put it on in the background it it will take you on an emotional journey um and i think for that reason i i think maybe people are rediscovering it um i know that's why it is endured like none of us would listen to this if we had heard it like once back in 93 and not just been confused because I think we both were, yeah, yeah. but her, but heard it and been like, mm, there's nothing there. Well, except that I think, um, you know, I can hear, I don't know, like Max Martin and those kinds of, those kinds of folks. I hear a lot in the production choices that they made. I hear a lot of drum sounds on Taylor Swift's 1989, for example, that sound like, to me, they were an attempt, you know, intentional or not, to get to the drum sound on this record, where it's that kind of yeah. thin, snary, reedy drum sound. And sometimes they sound even like a drum machine. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah. I had to, I had to, I had to keep checking the liners to be like, wait, how is this not? Are we sure this is not a drum machine? Yeah, production-wise, if you put this on headphones and have a really good copy, I think the now on streaming is just like the the twenty-four bit like stuff. Uh, it's pretty astounding yeah um it is you can study it that way you can study a lot of steely dan that way um but i think also a lot of like early rock like 70s stuff you know you had people working at the top of their game um because it was still the model that you had to make it sound perfect yeah and and then 80s and punk and everything came through and kind of fucked that up in a good way you know it, it became more about the exploration yeah. um but again, that was never the point of Steely Dan. Like, right. What if somebody came up to you and said, "Yeah, Steely Dan really pushed boundaries"? What would you What would you even say to them? Um, I don't. I didn't think they were playing in a space that had boundaries. I mean, I think they were just right. on their own turf. So there, there wasn't really, you know, they weren't they weren't negotiating anyone else's lines. Uh, There's it's it. To, for my money, they are, and he is one of. They are the most one of the most idiosyncratic bands that has existed in popular music, and he is definitely one of. Hey, Lynn, look, we should have said it's up front too. He's a problematic dude. Yeah, <laughs> Donald Faggett is, yeah. especially as of late. Yeah. Um, issues with domestic abuse and things like that, which doesn't. You see why they were obsessed with these like type of detective CD stories. Yeah. You don't want the person to actually be that. It seems a little more he might be. But. Yeah. I, 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 um, it's, there's, there's reason for pause, right? I mean, I, I don't know that there's a, that we, 
um, it, uh, it's, it's hard to talk about and it's, you know, you don't, you don't want to sound callous. Um, uh, you know, the incident in, involves, um, Libby Titus who has a co-writing credit on this album. Um, right. and, and they have since reconciled, um, so it's difficult to know what to do with it. I don't know that there have been other, you know, I always look for like patterns or trends. I don't know that there have been other, uh, you know, stories like that about Fagan that have, that have come out. Um, I think people just assume that about, about both him and, and Walter. <laughs> yeah, maybe just assume they were that guy. And so it was, it was shocking and, and sad yeah. when, um, when it turned out that, Oh, maybe he, maybe he was. Um, and, and, and because that, that is a reaction to this, a reaction to Steely Dan, like, I don't like those kind of people. Fair. Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily do either. But I am drawn to great stories. Yeah. I mean, I need people around me where if I hand them a suitcase full of cash and cocaine, I have to know they're not going to go burn it. Uh, you know, I need I need reliable people around me to, to handle. Like, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> who, who amongst us? <laughs> right. Who amongst us cannot relate to this? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I do think that, uh, just in general, you know, the, you know, who the band chooses to tell stories about that has been one of my favorite things about them. And I, and, and, and that's, you know, when I, when I sort of go into how, when I think about those choices that somehow makes this band feel even more sophisticated to me in some, in some yeah. respects, you know, because there's, there's just such an interesting set of choices that go into like, the song there's a song that's on maybe two against nature um it's a shame about me i want to yeah, say it's fantastic yeah and that's a song that's a little self-pitying number about like you you run into like your long ago crush and you're finally you essentially finally have a shot at them and but he feels too sorry for himself to he was like i can't do that the, the you know the me who would have done that is long dead like you're looking at a ghost right it's interesting those two records, uh, "Everything Must Go" and Two Against Nature," very much skewed towards this style of production. Yeah, absolutely, uh, they are. When you have the the warmth of the early records, um, which could just been a product of the time, uh, I, I I don't know, but you hear this very hermetic. Yeah, it's a good word. Like for it. production that that sort of wraps the the songs in a layer of very very thin like plastic wrap, but but it's there and 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 it can be off putting. I I've actually recently been digging into. I have I now have all the records mm. on vinyl finally, uh, and I've been I've been really digging into the last two albums, and I find the work much like this to be as compelling, even if I don't quite get it. Uh, I, I'm thinking specifically of a song like Cousin Dupree. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> it's a difficult song to well, defend. <laughs> well, yeah. but it's also, it, it's an updated, like, sort of everyone's gone yep, to the movies. Yep. And these people are still around, these characters. It's sort of like the old study writes about, like, recurring characters. Right. And you see them maybe not even related, but you see echoes of that. Like th these type of people don't go away. Um, and they continued up until Becker's death to like to address that and write that. Um, the, the, the two Fagan albums after this are, are a little more about getting older. Okay. Um, I think he said that like the, the trilogy, which is, uh, Nightfly, this and Morph the Cat are 
Is it worth it? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the third one. But I mean, or sunken condos. Um, sunken condos was later. I think because they reissued them and they packaged them all three of them together, and it was yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. Nightfly, this one, yeah. and more. Yeah, yeah. I know. I knew it was morph, but like I, I was trying to think why that would be because I thought oh, oh, oh. Uh, the other one came before. But anyway, are like stages of life. So in Fagin's mind, he's like middle aged in Kamakuri. Yeah, which again is why yeah. there's nothing about Trans Island Skyway that says middle age. Right, right. It said <laughs> kid just got out of school or he's skipping school. It's like let's go, yeah. man. Yeah. It's so it's it's youthful, it's invigorating, um, and it, it yeah we we we've said it I think enough times. It's just something you you really have to sit with over time, years even, and and decide how you feel about it. Yeah, um, you know it's it's I I I don't think this will kind of um, apply uh, to you as much, but it's kind of the way I have. Um, thought about like, you know, late seventies, eighties Dylan, um, which is that, you know, I sort of, I had, I always knew it was there and I knew that as a 20 year old, I didn't want to listen to that, but somewhere around my, you know, somewhere in my thirties, I started to like just peek over the edge. And I think, I think there, I think there's something really powerful about, um, making music that you can't appreciate until you're at a certain station in life or until you're past a certain point of wisdom. And, and yeah. I don't know what that is. I can't quantify it. It's not life milestones or whatever, but there's just something where like, you're not in the mood for this kind of music until some stuff has happened. And then when you are suddenly it all clicks into place. And, and so, and so with their work that, that I don't vibe with as much like sunken condos, I assume I will get to it at some point. I just don't think it's now. I don't think I'll yeah. ever get to the Bob Dylan, Frank Sinatra, stage i'm not sure that's that's possible but it's interesting with dylan because he he just redid uh time out of mind in some like looser arrangement thing which is like uh, i think what you're talking about is something maybe you're not ready for but i think it does run hand in hand with consensus like a lot mm. uh, all of us so you and i included like often like require some sort of consensus even if it's just i think for us now it's just like if you like it, I'm like, yeah, that's consensus. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, but, but, but some sort of consensus to like explore further beyond like Led Zeppelin four. Right. But then you hear enough people that are like, no, no, no. Presence is really where the jam is at that. You never, you never thought about checking out presence, but then you do. And then you like convince yourself that maybe it is. I don't think it is. Uh, you know, to put it in other terms, how many people do you think I convinced to listen to Boston's third stage and rethink that album? <laughs> I can, I can, I can like, name, at, I can at name least a few six. People. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm, and I'm, but, and I'm one but, of them for sure. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that kind of stuff is important, uh, because all of this is cumulative, all of it adds up to like our human experience, what we can pull to like resonate and how people, you know, see, they see you with Kamakiriad, or maybe you put it on your dating profile, you know, and, and you attract <laughs> a, a completely unique type of person that you had no intention of connecting with before. I should be open to, to Kamakiriad based matching. The Malort King. <laughs> the Air. Uh, yeah, the Jepsonair. But uh, my point is, we've talked enough about this. Give it a yeah. shot. Just... That, that's what's important. Um, 
it's it's fun. Do what you get. Smoke, yeah, smoke a yeah. doobie. Come on, we don't have, we don't have joints in the merch store. That sucks. But <laughs> there aren't discologist pre rolls yet. No, but yeah, just like give it. And, and if you really are just like I fucking hate stealing in, take a band that you like that you don't know a lot about and do that. Yeah, and then email us. <laughs> Be like, hey, have you ever heard of this album by Poco? <laughs> I cannot. If you email me, the answer will be yes. But. Uh, I was I was somewhere last night, and someone brought up Poco, and I could not. You know, it was it was sort of like, oh, new writers of the Purple Sage. Sure, I love them. I also love Poco, and I was like, oh my god, Kevin is not here. I I was like, I pulled my phone out in someone's kitchen. I was like, I have to text my friend and tell him that yeah, someone yeah. just brought up Poco. Yeah, I laughed. I, I was listening to the wall with my cat <laughs> at that point. At that point in time, so that tells you like where where we're at with things in the season. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. Come back and uh, finish this out. All right. Hopefully, hopefully nobody's listening to this. Because hopefully, they went and ran out and li- ran out and listened to Comic Curiad. Um, but I hope we did that justice. I think we yeah. did. I think we did. Uh, we touched on AI at the beginning. Played an AI <laughs> review in the middle of this. There was an article recently. Um, before we get out of here, that I want to talk about a little bit. Then Eamon Ford uh, that touched on what we had been talking about. And I think this goes beyond AI. Um, I wanted to bounce this off you. The that there are, for the purposes of his article, two types of music: functional utilitarian music, and this is the type of music that a lot of people would call like elevator music. Mm-hmm. But I think we know that there is stuff that is not necessarily strictly classified as elevator music. <laughs> Uh, a lot of pop that is is that functional, yeah. um, and then artistic aesthetic music, where people are making it to make you feel something. And I posted about this and got some uh, interesting responses. Where in talking about something like this, where I sort of tend to sit is I think both are of equal value. I think. Musicians have a very specific skill set. And being like a guitar player is not the same as being a writer. Flex is similar muscles, but it's not, I mean, that, that's also very different. Um, so the, you don't necessarily get to wrap, or we shouldn't wrap everything up. Like if they play guitar, if they play piano, then they're automatically a good writer, right? Right. Like you don't need to be both. Right. Um, so, in terms of well, well, okay. So, so we know that those two categories of music are not valued equally, um, right? Because by musicians, yes, yes, um, and 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 by the market, by you know, there's there's and by uh, the market, but um, but 
Um, but in terms of how we think of them, um, you know, I would, I would, I would love to live in a world and be part of a world where everyone who, who, who makes music, who creates music somehow, um, is kind of in the same in the same group in the same family where there aren't you know delineations right. between them um it's something that the ai thing has definitely exacerbated yeah um recently and it was it's always been there uh it's always made me a little sad uh because like you said there are, you know my, my my example about the wedding band yeah uh, that's that's just as valid to me um in general, you're going to have better players. Uh, that doesn't mean they make better art. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, you, somebody can be, a, there's a lot of people who are way better guitar players than me. <laughs> you know, it's fine. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think too, you know, the working, you know, someone, someone who is, who is a working, uh, gig artist, um, would be the first one to say, oh yeah, Nick Cave is doing different stuff from what I do. Like we're, you know, like, but, but like not in yeah. a, not in a one is bad and one is worse. It's just, you know, Nick Cave, you know, we're both working in music. Nick Cave does this and I do this other thing. I, I, you know, the other, the other thing that kind of doesn't hold true for me about that, the, the distinction between the utilitarian and the kind of pure artistic, uh, whatever is that. I don't think you can get more utilitarian than some of the most, you know, like, um, the, you know, I have a feeling that tonight's going to be a good night, like black eyed peas. Like, I think, I think that is the most utilitarian piece of work ever created. It's designed for people who speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a global song because 95% of the words in it are, you know, good and tonight. Um, so everyone can sing along to it. It's designed as a placeholder for like big parties and for big moments. I mean, it's, it's clearly, it, it, it exists to serve a purpose, not necessarily to further an artistic vision. Um, that being said, like, I don't begrudge its right to exist. I don't, you know, I, yeah. and, and I think, I think if anything that that's, that's the kind of thing that like, I'm not convinced today that an AI didn't already write that, <laughs> you know, like it, it already plays like, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, like it could have been written by, by like a V1 AI 20 years yeah. ago. Um, yeah. I mean, you could call, you could call reeling in the years a song like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, like, um, and, and so the place of AI in this is, is, yeah, you've touched on before of sort just reconsidering like our place in there is there's just going to be an initial sting always is when somebody tells you that you're not as essential as maybe you thought. Yeah. Yeah, I, we could all we could all use a dose of that, frankly. Um, you know, I think yeah. so. None of none of us are that essential, which yeah. means that we're all essential. And also not yeah, essential, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the great mystery. So when when AI comes along, and and his his point was uh, this article ultimately was basically that like he thinks this is going to like help people. Yeah, you, yeah. you aren't going to have, you know, you're talking about different markets where this stuff is already as AI as it can get. You know, if you have a team of like twenty people song making country songs that do 50% of the songs that are on country radio. How is that different than an AI? Yeah. You know, except, except like it would take their jobs. If it, if it was that good at, right. 
it would take their jobs. But are you are you really concerned about the labor market? That that's always my question. Yeah. Like really? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think yes. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I I think, but the possibilities are, are remain fascinating and endless for yeah. me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You're like I'm like yeah that's that's no I I I um I enjoyed I enjoyed that that um that piece you posted quite a bit I'm still I'm 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 remiss on finishing this thing I've been I've been working on about AI um for the site so, so some episode in the future I'll be able to say hey it's up yeah. and it's written um but but yeah. you know I think I think in general what what where you and I come at this from is that um the 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 fears or concerns about AI are are definitely inflated um the the sense of its economic right now. Right yeah. now, this is yes yeah, for now. Yes. Um, the 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 you know its its economic impact is it's unclear what it will be. Um, uh, every new technological advancement has some economic impact. It, you know there are sort of winners and losers when when the rules change. Um, you know the question is really going to be uh, how does it exist in the marketplace alongside other products? How do we think about it and how do we respond to it? in the short run and in the long run. And, and it could be that no one really cares um, whether an AI wrote the hit song that they're going to be dancing to at the next wedding, right? People, people may not care about yeah. that. And, 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 and like, what are you going to do about that? If it's true that, that people don't care, then that's just a and, fact. And to me, that is a fascinating philosophical question. Yeah. What, wh where do we find our meaning? Cause I think, I think, Without meaning, then if life becomes meaningless, then life generally doesn't go on. Yeah. Um, so we're all constantly looking for that meaning. But if if there's paradigm shifts that the things that we found that in just don't just don't exist anymore, what happens? Um, is it something like the end of uh, until the end of the world? Is it like what? Yeah. You know, what happened? That that is fascinating to me. I don't think that we need to find out at the expense of people. I mean, we're going to. Yes. Um, but like, say for example, how do you feel about this? I mean, who would have thunk it? Two middle-aged dudes who have a podcast talking about the most middle-aged dude band to ever band. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> I mean, I think that's right on. I think, I think, the, I think right? the AI makes a great point about us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. So, you know, maybe time for hit up Jet Chat GPT and some reflection. Maybe ask it about Comicuria. <laughs> maybe ask it about Steely Dan. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Why should I like Steely Ooh. Dan? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let chat let an AI convince you. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll do a little post on that. So That's enough of our AI talk. Uh coming up. Oh, we got an interview next time. Yeah. We have, we have some chats. Do we want to tell people? What's that? Do we want to tell people? Um, Who the interviews? Well, they've, they've heard. Brad Allen Williams. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we played yeah. his music. Yeah, you heard a track yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. He heard it yeah, too. It was great. And they were like, hey, you guys want to talk? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll yeah. talk. So Brad Allen Williams. Um, it should be a fascinating conversation because he's doing both. He's doing like commercial music and like he is, he's the guy behind the guy behind the guy. Like, like making charts for yeah. shit, which is something we don't ever talk about here. Can you imagine like Paramore having to hand out charts for the music? 
Not uh, not to slam on Paramore. I just wanted to make it topical, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back uh, next week. And until then, go out and check out Comic Curiad. I'll probably bug you all on uh, social media and see if you've been doing that. <laughs> <laughs>